Hello there to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners. I know it's been a while since I was on the air last with you guys. Uh, the last time I was on the air was at the start of the week, and here we are at the end of the second week to 2022. I hope all of you have had a good week wherever you may live, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere around the world. Well, here we are again um, discussing um, Harlow Giles Unger's Thomas Paine and the Clarion Call for, Ameri for American Independence. I will say this, we are not um, too terribly far from uh, wrapping up this uh, podcast series. However, the uh, segment we're going to be discussing tonight, will um, we're going to learn more about Thomas Paine's time in France. One thing I can admit is that... Um, from the uh, previous night, it's fair to say that all of you, my fellow listeners, learned a great deal about his highs and his unfortunate lows, especially knowing that Thomas Paine um, was, in fact, um, how, do you, how do I say it? He was, um, he participated in uh, movements, but at the same time, Thomas Paine also came to realize that, you know, it's one thing to participate in the movements, but that even participation alone does have boundaries. In this case, you know, it's one thing to participate, but how far do you go with your participation? Just because you're participating, it doesn't mean that everyone else is going to share your same views, or it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else is going to think uh, before they um, start doing something that's unbecoming. Was Thomas Paine one of those individuals who uh, advocated uh, destroying buildings? Well, it's hard to say. On the other hand, I'm sure he probably did realize that there were uh, those who despised uh, royal buildings because those buildings represented um, power that was in the hands of a few and excluded so many um of the masses of society who did not fall into that wealthy one to two um, percent of the um, French aristocracy. On the other hand, though, what Thomas Paine could not envision or um, failed to realize is what we're going to be, uh, one of the things we'll be discussing in the segment is that, um, is that uh, even uh, movements themselves do have their limits and that movements themselves uh, will either uh, make or break in terms of how well unified the greater um, co the greater uh, the greater the uh, co cohesiveness of the movement itself. In other words, will people stand together or will people crumble and in some instances turn turn against each other? Revolutions aren't always um, meant to be in terms of full scale one hundred percent unification. In some instances, revolutions start out strong, and then they fall apart because of the leadership. So, maybe it's time we start uh, delving into this um, next uh, podcast um, segment of uh, Harlow Giles Unger's Thomas Paine and the Clarion Call for American Independence, as we will uh, learn more about uh, Thomas Paine's time in France. And, we, and I think it's fair to say that we will... Um, see some more um, highs and some lows, but at the same time, um, Thomas Paine's going to um, encounter some people whom 
he thought would have his back, and they don't. So, our first leadoff question is the following. What took, what took place just before 10.30 on the morning of January 21st, 1793? It's one of those um, moments in time that, is, um, that has a lot of mixed emotions. There are those who are for this, and then there are those who are against it. But what takes place around 10.30 on the morning of January 21st, 1793 is the following. King Louis XVI marched to the steps where he would ultimately meet his fate. He would um, be sentenced to death, not by means of electric chair, not by means of hanging, but by means of guillotine. Do, do any of you all know what guillotine is? It's, um, it's a very barbaric um, form of punishment. And I could see how our forefathers, when um, coming up with the uh, Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments, that one of our Bill of Rights, being the uh, Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, states that, um, that all of us are to be free and immune from cruel and unusual punishments. Is being guillotined one of those measures that should exempt us from cruel and unusual punishment? Yes. Sadly, it did not uh, would not have come anywhere close to uh, being a safeguard protection for Louis the Sixteenth. He marched to the steps of the guillotine on the uh, Place de la Révolution, where he faced his inevitable fate. Not just by being guillotined, folks, but what it ultimately means is that he was executed by having his head severed, cut off. Pardon me for uh, grossing anyone out here, but the reality is, folks, this is how many of, many of uh, France's people during this uh, revolution sadly met their fate. As a matter of fact, none of them uh, probably even had the chance to have a right to a fair and speedy trial. Of course, all of that was added under the uh, new constitution that had been put into place a few years, or just around the time right before the French Revolution broke out, uh, that the Marquis de Lafayette himself had um, established. But even that wasn't alone to um, to please the um, the masses of society who did not fall anywhere in the ranks of the uh, nobil like the nobility, the landed gentry. So sadly, uh, for Louis the Sixteenth, um, he did meet his fate, and he was executed by having his head severed. Not a very pleasant way to go, but sadly, a lot of people met their fate. People who did not deserve to die that way, and yet they did. Now, um, who was America's um, ambassador to France just before he came to France? Um, before the French Revolution began, as a matter of fact, he arrived to France the year after the French, the year after the American Revolutionary War officially ended with that Treaty of Paris in 1783. Uh, remember, uh, Thomas Jefferson arrived in 1784 and was ambassador uh, to France in up until about early 1789, and he was asked to uh, serve in Washington, George Washington's cabinet, as Secretary of State. So the big question is, who exactly replaced Thomas Jefferson 
as America's ambassador to France. We have learned about this fella. Would his name by any chance be Gouverneur Morris? Yes. Is there a relation to Robert Morris of Pennsylvania? No, there is no uh, connection, although their last names are the same and spelled uh, M-O-R-R-I-S. So, Gouverneur Morris uh, replaces Thomas Jefferson as ambassador to France. As a matter of fact, Gouverneur Morris himself witnessed the king's execution, and he wrote about it to uh, Jefferson. He described in the letter what he had witnessed. Can't imagine uh, witnessing the king be um, executed. You know, it's one thing to witness a king uh, step down or be, you know, forced out, or in worst case scenario, maybe be forced out and um, sent to uh, live in exile. But to be, um, but to be sentenced to death by means of a guillotine, that's uh, pretty um, profound to say the least. Had Louis XVI's execution outraged many throughout the world? The answer is yes. Uh, believe it or not, folks, yes. And how so? Well, let's uh, listen here carefully, folks. For starters, the French radicals, a.k.a. the Jacobins, remember uh, their leader, Maximilien Francois Robespierre? Uh, his name will be discussed a little bit more in this uh, podcast segment. But the Jacobins... You know, they're in control. They think they know everything, but I hate to admit this, they, they don't. Yes, I know the Jacobins have been oppressed for some time, and when you've been oppressed for as long as they have, I guess you want to do everything there is to uh, set the agenda where it's your way or no one else's way. For the Jacobins, it's all about them. They, they don't care about people who are moderates. I'm almost beginning to wonder if maybe Thomas Paine himself could be a moderate. We'll have to find out. But something tells me he might. But let's not give it away just at this moment. But the Jacobins are what I call, if you were to ask me how to best define the Jacobins in terms of where they stand on the political spectrum, are they on the far right or are they to the far left? The Jacobins are to the far left. Yes, they want reforms, but the problem is that they want so many reforms that they are keeping everyone else out of the process. So there again, it's either the Jacobins' way or no one else's, especially if you are a part of that group. So anyways, yes, the Jacobins had failed to draft a plan where people from all sides of the political spectrum could come together peacefully and resolve past differences. So in other words, the Jacobins are going to flat out deliberately exclude the nobility, the landed gentry, the clergy. They're going to exclude just about anybody who has money, and not just money, but land, and not just land, but vast amounts of land, all because of where their status is in the greater society. But worst of all, France in the aftermath of executing King Louis XVI, France begins to declare war on nearby neighboring European countries like Spain, along with invading Holland. France is pretty much on an all-out assault of Europe. 
France, I mean, I can see how the French people, the masses may have detested monarchy, but now they're beginning to detest monarchy anywhere else in Europe, even if they don't live on another nation's soil. Late March of 1793, many other European nations come together and form a coalition. And what do you think that coalition would be um, would be bent on doing? Well, it's a simple mission. That is to quash the French Revolution, as well as halting its presence into neighboring countries. So what do you think French forces, most notably of, of the uh, Jacobin faith, are trying to do? They're trying to encourage people in other nearby nations to go about overthrowing their monarchs. In other words, the Jacobins want a global, uh, they'd like a global revolution, but they want a revolution that's going to revolutionize Europe to where all of Europe, could, in their eyes, ought to be monarch-free. Well, France, in the aftermath of King Louis XVI's execution, they still see the United States as an ally. But radical forces, being that of the Jacobins, were in favor of wanting to imprison and sentence none other than Mr. Thomas Paine to death because they did not like Thomas Paine's moderate political views or stances. You know, I mentioned just not uh, too terribly long ago that I was beginning to wonder if Thomas Paine was more of a moderate. Is, are there reasons why he was a moderate? We're gonna, we, yes, we're going to find that out here in a moment. But does it come as a shock, knowing what I know now, that the Jacobins now want to go after Thomas Paine? It doesn't. And when I read this book, yes, I was shocked at first, but I also had to remind myself that, hey, when revolutions take place, not everyone is unified. They may be unified at the start, but as, but as the revolution movement itself um, keeps on going, and depending on who whom is leading the revolution, people's, um, what do you call it, people's beliefs change. Factions grow from within to where there's no um, true identity of what the movement itself is supposed to be about. See, for the Jacobins, they just wanted to imprison anybody that was in their way, even if it meant sentencing them to death. They don't care if there are people in the middle. In other words, people in the middle who, yes, could empathize with the Jacobins on certain matters, but yet these people in the middle, like Thomas Paine, whom still view the landed gentry and, and uh, the nobility as people who do have good ideas that can be brought before government to where government reform itself is relevant. Well, Thomas Paine, however, does take a stand against the Jacobins. He has, Thomas Paine himself had gone as far as warning Jacobin leaders like Georges Jacques Danton that suppression of all moderate political forces would in fact have great potential to destroy France's republic altogether. You know, too often in uh, politics, or not just in the United States, but anywhere else around the world, we have um, two sides. We have the left and we have the right. 
And more often than not, we forget that there is to be a middle, a.k.a. middle ground. Not to get off track here, but this is something we should be reminded of. Um, George Washington's farewell speech included something uh, very um, significant, and I do believe he would be appalled by it in today's time, along with some of our other forefathers. But George Washington warned about the dangers behind political parties, not just the names of parties, like in his day, it was the Federalists or the Anti-Federalists or Democratic Republicans that were led by Thomas Jefferson, but George Washington saw political parties as a great undoing to the young nation's republic. Political parties had a means of creating allegiances to where if one identified themselves as a Federalist, in his eyes, it meant that maybe a Federalist would never want to uh, compromise with his um, opposing party. And the same for vice versa with a Democratic-Republican not wanting to compromise with a Federalist. He feared that both parties would engage in extremism so bad to where, um, to where any kind of a compromise in general um, would, um, would no longer have any means of relevancy. So it's one thing to have a loyalty to a party or a loyalty to uh, a particular side of the, of the political spectrum, but if these factions go unchecked, then who's to say that what you have now in terms of a new government will exist long term? So for Thomas Paine, you know, it's one thing for these Jacobins to be in power, but even uh, given that the fact that the Jacobins had been suppressed for uh, a long period of time, or really before they became the Jacobins, you know, it's one thing to be suppressed, but you also have to uh, put aside your uh, past prejudices to, um, how, do you, how, do you, how do I say, it? it's one thing to uh, put aside your past prejudices, but you also have to be able to um, find common ground with those on the opposing side whom you may not always get along with or have to like everything about them, but if you're going to ensure that your nation survives under a new system of government, then you have to forego all um, personal ideologies. You have to forego a lot of other personal criteria that falls under the I, me, myself category. For the Jacobins, that's what it's all about. I, me, myself. For Thomas Paine and the other moderates whom are being suppressed by the Jacobins, they are still clinging on to that uh, philosophy that this is us, we, ourselves. It's about all of us. We're all in this together. How does President Washington view the current state of European affairs? Given with everything that's going on and now knowing that King Louis XVI has been executed, how does Washington view these uh, current state of affairs 3,000 miles across the ocean? Well, he sees, or rather I should say, he views Europe's conflicts as matters that should be resolved by the nations directly impacted. So for President Washington, the United States must remain neutral, most notably between the nations of France and England. And why is that, folks? Well, it wasn't that long ago that France joined the American Revolution, and, you know, and then here we've got England in the post-American Revolutionary War world where Washington is trying to um, 
come up with solutions on uh, resolving um, whatever bad blood there was between the nations, not only during the war, but in the years after the war. So for Washington, he is afraid that whomever the United States were to take sides with in a conflict that it involves either France or England, whichever side they took, the other side is going to be deeply offended. The other side could choose to wage war on America. The other side could go as far as um, as um, harassing um, American vessels going overseas, and that will um, happen um, sometime uh, before Washington's presidency ends, and it will uh, continue to accelerate by the time John Adams and Thomas Jefferson become presidents. Uh, Europe, or rather I should say Britain and France, most notably Britain, will eventually engage in an activity known as impressment, where they will go about capturing um, American sailors off of their vessels and forcing them against their own will to take up sides with the British, all in the name because of the, the fact that the British are experiencing a shortage in their navy, and two, it will be a means on the part of Britain to exert her power and say, okay, we may have lost to you all in the American Revolutionary War, but we still have control over who reigns along the high seas. So for the United States, you know, George Washington knows that this young republic is very fragile, and the last thing his young nation needs to be engaged in is a conflict overseas that, um, that doesn't have a direct effect on them, but if they are to be involved, the, um, the outcomes would have uh, lots of negative consequences, or I should say repercussions, that would uh, backfire long term. So for uh, George Washington, it is very important that the United States remain neutral. However, um, Washington does not even mention about Thomas Paine. He knows that Thomas Paine went back overseas to Europe, but he, um, I think it's fair to say that Jefferson, that uh, Washington knows that Thomas Paine is an ardent um, supporter behind um, revolutionary reforms. I mean, he saw that in the American Revolution, and it was very uh, noteworthy, but at the same time, he knows that Thomas Paine is probably taking part in uh, the movement going on in France and Washington himself has to probably probably be very careful about what names to uh, mention for security reasons. And two, uh, knowing that, okay, if Thomas Paine is in France, what could he be inciting that might have um, a negative effect on my administration and on people um, in America, but also American people in um, England? After all, you know, um, there's pretty much only three European nations, folks, where there are ambassadors. France, England, and Spain. If you think about it, they are the three most dominant European forces in the world, even as we enter into the post, even as we are now in the post-revolutionary war era world and are now and we now have a republic of our own that we uh, were able to create uh, six years earlier when um, when we had uh, 39 men uh, go about signing the United States Constitution. Well, uh, shortly after Louis XVI's execution, Thomas Paine disappeared along with other political moderates, whom allied themselves 
with pain in trying to save the monarch's life from prevention of guillotine. It is fair to say that Thomas Paine saw firsthand that people from the old world, being that of Europe, were truly incapable of governing themselves given they had spent many of years being governed above by monarchs. Think about it, folks. What, there are many of reasons why um, Europeans left um, England, France, and uh, just to say like England and France, for example, but most notably England, why do you think they left to, in terms of coming over to the New World to start a better life? And for many of those people, they came over, not all of them, but a good number of them came over to avoid such things like religious persecution. Some, many of them wanted a better way of life because their, their opportunities in England may have been very limited. So for many of those people who came to America, they did have a better life. And of course, for those of you who were with me when we discussed uh, Harlow Giles Unger's Tempest in the Teapot, how the Boston Tea Party sparked a revolution, we still have to wonder to ourselves, what if Parliament had never passed that Molasses Act of 1733? What if Parliament had not trampled upon an enterprise that was doing so well? If they hadn't trampled upon an enterprise... And if, and if they had not, um, not so much trampled upon an enterprise, but had curtailed an enterprise's growth without the people's consent, whom had made that entity or enterprise so great, there may not have ever been a need to have, um, to have gone about wanting to pursue a separation from England. Of course, that may have been just one act, but one act alone over time did have its uh, ramifications as time passed along and other acts got passed without formal consent. It does all add up over time. So it is fair to say that for those who lived in colonial America, they did have a better ability to go about governing themselves, unlike those from the old world whom had lived uh, many of years under the uh, reign uh, from above being that of a monarch. Did Thomas Paine view church as an institution that was filled with tyranny? Man, I thought uh, Thomas Paine was, um, you know, I thought Thomas Paine would prefer to have focused um, viewing the, the monarchy system as an institution of tyranny. And that he was right for, especially when it came to writing common sense. But did Paine himself, folks, view church as an institution that was filled with tyranny? Yes, he did. But his, and we're going to uh, get back to this uh, again here soon, but I'll just tell you right now, Thomas Paine's stance on church tyranny did not focus solely on one's religious denomination. So it wasn't uh, focusing directly on the Catholic Church. He was not focusing on the Church of England or the Anglican Church, but he was focusing more so on the dangers behind organized religion as a whole, including the relationship that the church, being like, say, a, an individual church or churches as entities, had um, being the church leaders and the um, people below or the congregation. In other words, do church officials have the right to tell people how to go about um, 
believing in uh, something that that should be defined by Scripture alone. I'm not a theologian, folks, but that's just an example of where Thomas Paine is coming from here in the sense that um, he's beginning to wonder how much authority can church leaders have on individuals. So um, I can better explain it right here to you all. Paine was a man whom championed logical thinking based upon reason, or I should say reasoning. I think it's fair to say, too, that uh, many of our other prominent forefathers would have championed um, the same thing, you know, logical thinking based upon reasoning. Paine believed that reasoning itself served as a proper tool against all mistakes. Hey, you know, um, you got to have a way to... Um, to uh, what do you call it? Think things out. You've got to have a way to strategize, so you know how to go forward rather than five steps backwards. But for Thomas Paine, um, the ability to reason would allow one um, to go forward with making decisions that did not always require relying upon higher sources as the final arbiter or the final um, solution to anything that's still outstanding. So in other words, Thomas Paine would like for uh, people in their church, you know, the congregate members of a congregation to find out, hey, or see for themselves, okay, can I solve this problem on my own without having to go to the priest or without having to go to my head parishioner? Yes, I can confer with my head parishioner, but do I have to do it all the time? In other words, some, in other words, sources from high above aren't going to always be around to tell me what I should or should not do. I may need to make decisions for myself based upon what's at stake. So it's a double-edged sword. Who is uh, Mary uh, Wollstonecraft? I'm sure some of you probably have heard of her name. I knew of her name, but learned a little bit more about her in uh, reading this book. Mary Wollstonecraft, and her last name is spelled W-O-L-L-S-T-O-N-E-C-R-A-F-T. She is a British woman who became an ardent political advocate of women's rights. She went on to become author of a successful work titled A Vindication of the Rights of Woman, which fiercely criticized all existing notions or preconceived thoughts stating that women had been opposite to men. In this uh, book that she, um, or pamphlet I should say, that she wrote, she went about making sure that the uh, trend was reversed from all corners. Mary Wollstonecraft um, was a close friend and strong supporter of Thomas Paine. She herself, along with Paine's dearest friends and Nicholas Nicolai de Bonville and Thomas Cleo Rickman, and uh, Thomas Cleo Rickman was one of Paine's um, dearest friends from England, um, whom Paine met, and as a matter of fact, uh, Rickman was the one that encouraged Paine to write uh, pamphlets. This, uh, these four people were all part of a special inner circle, or rather I should say that Rickman Bonville and uh, Wollstonecraft were allowed to be a part of Paine's inner circle of friends in uh, the greater Paris area. And all of them lived in fear, 
getting cap, not so much in fear of what was going on in France, but they lived in fear knowing that they ran the risk of getting captured by the British. So basically, they're in exile, folks. They are in fear of getting captured by the British, all in the name of publishing literary works which challenged existing status quos. In other words, Paine challenged the authority of a monarch. Wollstonecraft challenged the authority of the fact that uh, for so long women had been dubbed inferior to men. You know, it's one thing to take a stand, but now the, you know, the crown and parliament and government, they're not having any of it. And if they can get their hands on these people, yeah, they'll do everything they can to see to it that they die a traitor's death. It's a hor it's a horrible it's horrible to think about this, but think about this. These people, if Payne and Wollstonecraft get caught, they won't be able to represent themselves in court. They might, but there's no guarantee of it. Isn't it fair to say that Parliament and the Crown in, in Britain is violating these people's rights to free speech? Yes. Payne knew he was a wanted man in France, but with the remaining time left in his life, he went about starting new work on challenging the greater institution, or I should say the authority behind church's role. Payne firmly believed that everyone had the right to follow the religion and faith they wished to practice. But as he began embarking on his new work, he was caught off guard only to be taken into prison without any means of without any true definitive means of probable cause early october of 1793 saw the jacobins begin accusing moderates like Payne of treason thomas Payne, um you know i hope he doesn't um i hope he doesn't die folks i hope he doesn't um get sentenced to the guillotine. I, I hope that he uh, can prove these Jacobins wrong. Of course, for the Jacobins, it's their way or the highway, but I just hope somebody will come to his defense. I mean, yes, he's got Mary Wollstonecraft, Nicholas, Nicholas de Bonville, um, Thomas Cleo Rickman, but there has to be somebody else from well above who might be able to help get Payne um, exonerated or maybe even better help Payne... Um, eventually um, come back to America because it's one thing to be overseas and get caught in the uh, chaos or um, caught up in the um, euphorism of, I don't know if euphorism is the right word, but to get caught up in the, um, in the moments with the revolution. But if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, who knows what your fate might, um, might become. You never know. You, you could be locked up abroad. I mean, we hear about it in today's modern world where people go overseas on a vacation only to get locked up abroad for a crime they didn't commit. So for Thomas Paine, you know, yes, it's one thing to be in Europe, but it doesn't mean that you're safe. Well, what happens on October 16th, 1793 that is of uh, significant importance? A mob of Jacobins entered a prison at Le Tempel and seized Queen Marie Antoinette, Louis XVI's wife. It was on this day that she was officially guillotined. 
Well, King Louis XVI and his wife have met tragic deaths. December 28, 1793, a swarm of uh, policemen and agents from the Committee of the General Safety. This is a committee that is um, that was uh, headed up by the Jacobins. They issued an order for Thomas Paine's arrest and imprisonment. Law enforcement failed to advise Paine of any charges brought against him. Paine went on to get imprisoned at the Palais du Luxembourg, where an assortment of other prisoners got housed from, from everyday English people, members of the French government being the moderates, to the nobility, the landed gentry, clergy, people from all walks of life getting imprisoned, folks, all because the Jacobins don't like them. I'll tell you, these Jacobins, you know, it's one thing to be oppressed, but now they're the ones that are becoming, to me, they probably are far more ignorant than the landed gentry. They might be, to me, more ignorant than the clergy, and as well as being far more ignorant than political moderates. Did Thomas Paine turn to Ambassador Gouverneur Morris for help while imprisoned? He did. But let's find out some interesting things about Governor Morris. I always thought that if one was an ambassador to a nation, that they would want to look after um, people uh, from their uh, same nation whom are over in the country that they represent. I found that to be opposite, especially with Governor Morris. For one, uh, Governor Morris did not like Thomas Paine, period. But he still remained very bitter over past financial losses during the Revolutionary War, where Thomas Paine had exposed Connecticut's Silas Dean for his unethical actions in obtaining arms overseas through France without proper uh, consent and means of getting that consent from General George Washington, who was the commander of the Continental Army. Well, it was one thing for Thomas Paine to have been a whistleblower and to have done what he needed to do to bring it to other people's attentions, but obviously, Governor Morris is still holding a grudge, a grudge so bad to where it will um, jeopardize Thomas Paine's well-being. Besides ignoring Thomas Paine's pleas for help, Governor Morris himself failed to notify Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson and anyone else in the U.S. government of Paine's arrest. So Governor Morris, know, he's known already that Thomas Paine's arrested and obviously doesn't seem to give doesn't really seem to care one bit. Who's to say that maybe if one of Governor Morris's friends, like Robert Morris, was imprisoned, don't think for one second he would have seen he would have fought left and right to have um, gotten Robert Morris out of prison, but not Thomas Paine. To me, I think of this as something like uh, I don't know if I'd say treason, but it's definitely a red flag to say the least that uh, for what Governor uh, Morris is doing. And Thomas Paine has written to Governor Morris more than once, demanding his assistance, and that without the assistance, he will die an agonizing death. If anybody doesn't think that dying by means of guillotine is agonizing, then I don't know what else uh, comes close. However, um, one month after Governor Morris 
received Payne's first letters of assistance, he does decide to respond, but by doing so through means of informing Thomas Jefferson. But here's a problem, folks. December 31st, 1793 um, is unique in that Thomas Jefferson resigned from the post. So by the time Governor Morris wrote this letter, he had no idea that Jefferson stepped down. So think about it, folks. Uh, Governor Morris does not, we don't have telephones. We don't have any breaking news app alerts. So nobody can um, send a text or call up Governor Morris and say, Governor, uh, we've got some uh, official news to report to you and that Thomas Jefferson has uh, stepped down from his uh, post. Uh, we just named John Smith the interim uh, Secretary of State until a new uh, replacement can be found. So you'll have to do your um, uh, negotiating with uh, the interim Secretary of State. So we don't have any of that instant communication just yet. So it's fair to say now that um, for Thomas Paine, not knowing, and see, even Paine himself doesn't know that Jefferson has uh, has stepped down from Secretary of State. So these are uh, trying times, most notably for Thomas Paine, to say the least. So, yes, Governor Morris wrote this letter without any idea that Jefferson had already stepped down while imprisoned. And while Thomas Paine is imprisoned, uh, Paine himself begins writing The Age of Reason, which focuses on the dangers behind organized religion and how an individual's personal choices for reasoning weren't to be interfered from institutions above like church. Sounds like it's not a bad um, topic to write about, but I just have to wonder long term if writing something like this uh, will um, backfire on, um, on uh, Thomas Paine. Well, let me ask you this. Um, had Governor Morris misjudged Thomas Jefferson? Yes. For starters, Governor Morris himself didn't even know Jefferson very well. He's more of like an acquaintance, but he's not like best, best friends. So for Governor Morris, he also goes about failing to realize just how much Payne and Jefferson had in common when it came to such matters like religion and one's personal faith. Of course, when I think of religion for Thomas Jefferson... I think of him as being the uh, founder for the uh, Virginia Statutes on Religious Freedom. Remember, there's uh, three things on Thomas Jefferson's tombstone that he um, wanted to be remembered for. The uh, author of the Declaration of Independence, the uh, founding father uh, behind Virginia's Statutes of Religious Freedom, and the founder of the University of Virginia. So... Um, Yes, so anytime you think of religious freedom, uh, there's one forefather you need to think of. I mean, you could think of others, but I think of Thomas Jefferson. He's the one that comes um, dearly to my mind. Now, would over time uh, support for Jacobin reforms dwindle? Another word for dwindle is like decline, decrease, wither away. Uh, the answer is yes. So over time, uh, support for Jacobin reforms will dwindle go down, most notably for jailing all the political opponents like the moderates. And it's not just jailing all these political opponents being the moderates, but how about the large numbers of executions that have already taken place 
to where supporters from within Maximilian Robespierre's network now are seeing firsthand an ever-growing number of widows and orphans on a day-by-day -day basis who no longer, you know, widows no longer have husbands, children no longer have fathers. You know, I, I, I don't know if I could say it's like a holocaust, but executing all these people against their own will, it's... It's a smaller version of a holocaust, but yet it's a very frightening outcome knowing that so many people got um, executed all because of um, differences in political ideology, and not just differences in political ideology, but so many were executed because they were middle ground people who cared about France, but yet wanted to see reform, but not by means of extremism. So... The current movement now has become irrelevant in the eyes of those who at one time saw the Jacobin reforms as being great now are just simply losing their luster. Another word for luster being elegance. July 24th, 1794. Who dies? Well, we already know King Louis XVI and his wife are gone. Anybody else of importance? Yes. Maximilien Robespierre, or I should say Maximilien Francois Robespierre, the leader of the Jacobin movement, was sentenced to die and was guillotined. And it was overseen by former supporters. But if that's, you know, to me that's almost a celebration of sorts, but it's a very short-lived celebration. You know why? Because prior to Maximilien Francois Robespierre's death, whom did he conspire with in keeping Thomas Paine locked up, along with keeping him imprisoned without any formal charges? Governor Morris. Can you believe that, folks? Now, that to me is very, very, um, to me that's beyond despicable. To know that Governor Morris was conspiring with a um, radical person all along whom whom hated Thomas Paine. It was bad enough Governor Morris didn't like him, but for Maximilian Francois Robespierre to conspire with uh, Governor Morris, to me, that's a sin unto itself. Robespierre's death, while it was a blessing for Thomas Paine, it didn't automatically exonerate Paine, given there were still mob crowds whom supported executing dissidents, being the political moderates, and the Committee of Public Safety refused to hear Thomas Paine's petitions for requesting release from jail and fear that if Paine and other dissidents were released from jail, that potential alliances would, um, would get reestablished between France and America. Now I'm beginning to realize that whatever um, strongholds are left of the Jacobin movement, they don't want to have anything to do with the United States. They are pretty much their own micromanagers. They just want to do everything on their own without any help from within and from the outside world. But at the rate they're going, they might as well burn every bridge that's in front of them. What did Thomas Paine learn come mid-August of 1794? Did he get good news or more bad news? The answer is choice A. He got good news, and it's much-needed good news. 
Thomas Paine learned that James Monroe was replacing Gouverneur Morris as America's new ambassador to France. This, is, to me, is going to be a huge relief. Now Thomas Paine realizes that there might be a better flicker of hope in getting out of jail and avoiding death altogether. Thomas Paine's friendship with James Monroe dated back to 1776, most notably from the Battle of Trenton. Monroe never got Paine's letter. As outgoing ambassador, Governor Morris never provided it to him. I'll tell you, this Governor Morris is quite an ignorant man. I think ignorance just 101, but to me, he's a very egotistical man, a very uh, self-centered, I mean... He was one of those people that, in my opinion, should never have gone to France. But who's to say if he had been ambassador to Spain or England that he would have treated uh, political dissidents from within um, America the same way, too, if they were imprisoned in one of those other two nations, not hearing their uh, pleas for help. Monroe himself, however, was not even aware that Thomas Paine was in prison facing a possibility of death by guillotine. So it's one thing now that James Monroe is going to, be coming, going to become the new ambassador, but he does not even know what's um, ahead of him. Governor Morris did meet with Monroe, but it was very, um, it was a brief um, gathering. It was more of like a high goodbye type thing. Well, we're gonna um, we're close to finishing up this uh, podcast segment. That is so. Um, here we go. Unlike Governor Morris, James Monroe would prove to be a game changer as ambassador to France. He fought tirelessly to get the French people to change their ways of thinking without turning to violence, and most importantly, finding out about Thomas Paine's imprisonment. And in the end, folks. James Monroe, he had gone adamantly left and right, above and beyond, advocating for Payne's release, which finally came as a reality on November 6th of 1794. So had it not been for James Monroe coming to uh, France as the new ambassador and replacing Governor Morris, it would have only been a matter of time before Thomas Payne would have been ultimately executed. You know, as crazy as this sounds, I do believe it is fair to say that the Jacobins had every opportunity to have taken Thomas Paine out prior to Monroe even coming on America to French soil. They missed their opportunities. I'm not saying that they that they should have done it. Thank goodness they didn't. But you think about it, if you if they really wanted someone like Thomas Paine out that badly, and here Maximilian Robespierre is conspiring with Governor Morris. Wouldn't you think that if the two of them really wanted uh, Thomas Paine out that badly, that they would have crafted a plan uh, from within the inner circle of the Robespierre or uh, Jacobin network and just taken the guy out? But they didn't. So I'd almost have to say that this is an act of God that Thomas Paine has been spared. And does Thomas Paine still remain in France? He does, but he is... Um, I believe it's fair to say that he will be somewhere in in a much better um, area where he is not surrounded by too many too much extremism. But I will say this: the time in which Thomas Paine was in prison did leave um, uh, 
it left him a different man. Um, he was, you could say that he was wrecked emotionally. But then again, who would not have been um, knowing that, you know, he was fighting for his life each day. And a lot of psychological scars, emotional, um, all sorts of scars, scars that probably would never go away. Well, we've covered a lot of ground as always, and when I'm on the air again next, we're gonna um, we're gonna learn about um, where Thomas Paine um, where Thomas Paine Thomas Paine himself goes come the very start of the 19th century. So it might seem like we're jumping um, through hoops um, rapidly, but at the same time. Um, I personally believe that um, it would be best going forward when I'm on the air again next to talk about where pain um, lands at uh, come the start of the 19th century. One thing I can say is that Thomas Paine's time in Europe was not dull. Thomas Paine did see success, but he also saw success that, um, that took a, a downward turn for the worse. And in many of instances and almost resulted in the loss of his life. It is fair to say that perhaps God himself was looking after Thomas Paine and with the help of James Monroe. But I almost have to wonder wherever Paine goes next that we will be learning about in the next podcast segment, we have to wonder, will his um, presence wherever he goes next be met with the warm welcome? Just because you um, go somewhere or return somewhere where you hadn't been back to in some time, it doesn't always guarantee that you're going to receive a, uh, a gracious welcome. Well, thank you again as all for listening. As always, you guys are uh, terrific listeners and continue to get the word out to others who would like whom would like to podcast or just listen to podcasts. Uh, once you get started, there's no going back. But thank you again for listening, and I hope all of you, wherever you may live, for some of you in the world, it may already be the start of the weekend. But regardless, be safe, and I look forward to being on the air again next time. Uh, take care for now, and stay safe.